welcome to Safe Inside, brought to you by Theratribe. I'm Jeremy Loomis, and these are my conversations with Sandra Fields, an LPC and certified clinical trauma treatment provider with over 35 years experience helping people who've been through trauma. Welcome back to Safe Inside, the Theratribe podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Sandy. And today we have another guest. Sandy, would you like to introduce? I would. We have Kat here today. Kat's going to talk about her experience with trauma and trauma treatment. I'm hoping that there's some recovery in that part too. And Kat, we're glad you're here with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, we are excited too. So Yeah, it's great to have you here. Well, Kat, let's go ahead and just jump right into it because, you know, we have um, the episodes aren't like really long. So let's go ahead and get into it. So why don't you, if you don't mind giving us kind of an overview of the types of trauma that you might've experienced and where we might go today. Okay. Um, so when I first thought about, um, the idea of being on the podcast and trauma, I thought, um, oh boy, I got a bucket of that we can go through. <laughs> um, so, you know, long-term childhood trauma. Uh, my father was an abusive alcoholic um, and both of my parents uh, have been significantly ne- neglectful, um, at, if not at the same time uh, throughout my childhood, um, kind of in tandem. But so that is a very... Um, difficult thing that I've realized that it affected me um throughout my life which I didn't but I wasn't aware of it until more of um adulthood um that neglect and that um it it changing how I view myself how I view my worth my um uh, I guess worth in um relationships um and my self-esteem and then I, I've also had some um, issues with, or, you know, uh, episodes of sexual trauma throughout my life. So when I was a young girl, um, I was assaulted by um, a neighborhood friend, um, I, you know, kind of uh, assaulted by an older girl and then sexually assaulted. And then um, in... I guess it started in high school. I was um, uh, assault, sexually assaulted several times in high school. Um, and then I had a break from it for a little while and I went through a divorce. And um, after the divorce, I had to get back in there, get back into the, the dating scene. And I've had um, one episode of sexual assault um, during a date um and then I've also had two issues with uh well two issues two big issues with coworkers sexually assaulting me um that I met through the hospital and then um or just um I guess I would say uh like sexual harassment like uh, uh bosses or um uh, people who are supposed to be higher level than me in the hospital, um, saying inappropriate things, touching me, things like that. So those are the different types of trauma I think about. And then also through my job and career, um, I work in medicine and 
there have been things I've seen and heard that have that have kind of sat with me um and those are more you know it's it's easier to separate that in my head those things um those types of traumas because it's it's work-related trauma and it's medical-related trauma and it's like oh well that didn't happen to me that wasn't about me um though you know that was that was the patient and so it, it has been a little bit easier for me to kind of separate that but some of the you know the the issues with my parents and then the issues um with my like sexual um trauma that has more been ingrained in me of like who I am and in my past and um that's been those have been the things that I, I feel like have affected me more dramatically yeah and you know Kat it's not uncommon for people who have experienced trauma as children to be more at risk for revictimization in different ways especially boundary violations such as sexual trauma <laughs> things like that so your experience, unfortunately, is not as uncommon as I would like to, to believe, um, mm -hmm. unfortunately. So it takes a lot of courage to come on here and tell us all of those things. So thank you for that. Um, well, thank you. I, you know, when I was younger, I, I would never have told anybody anything. And I think that's part of, uh, that's something I, I want to um, help other people with and change other people's perspective is because when I was a child and that older girl was two or three years older than me and she was, you know, showing me pornography and touching me inappropriately and things like that. And um, I remember I thought like that I did something wrong, you know, and I felt like I would be in trouble that I did something wrong and, and I had a lot of guilt and shame around it. And then I, as I got older, then turned around to have guilt and shame around sex, not only from being us from a Southern Christian conservative home where you're, you know, taught that everything sexual is bad until you're 40 and married. Um, but that was part of it is because when I like got older and started to have like normal hormonal urges and had a boyfriend and things like that. Um, I felt <clears throat> that it was bad and it was uncomfortable and that I shouldn't feel the way I felt. And it, you know, I wish, um, I think, I wish I, I wish I would have felt comfortable telling someone about the things that had happened because Lord knows what had happened to that little girl, um, that to teach her to do that, you know? Um, and so for me, it's now I have no problem telling people, well, I was raised by an abusive alcoholic or, you know, I was sexually, I was molested as a child or, I, you know, my first, um, my first, uh, what do you call it? Um, my first um, time, like having vaginal intercourse, I was thinking, trying to think of the word intercourse. My first time having intercourse was non-consensual. So even though it was with someone that I had known for a year and a half, in high school and he was my boyfriend at the time um I always thought about it as oh well he did that and I didn't want him to but you know like as an adult now I can look back and say well that's rape so my first you know my first uh, intercourse was rape so um I have no I I feel like if if we aren't talking about our traumas then people aren't getting help you know so so yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm, I'm first, 
and I'm trying to determine which rabbit trail to choose first. <laughs> Pick whatever I, you want. I so appreciate your openness and just how much you're setting up a context for what we're talking about today. And one of the first things that I'd love to hear more about, I want to ask about what your identity formation between then and now even looked like. But I think before we go there, I, I, I really want to hear what did it look like for you growing up into those experiences? Because my assumption would be, because why, because why wouldn't you make this meaning out of it? This must just be the way that the world is, and this must be what's normal to expect the rest of my life to look like. Yeah. How, how do you? How do you? First of all, how do you even be okay from day to day when when that's what experience is starting to tell you to expect? Yes. So, are you more, more talking about the sexual trauma, or? That's yes. Yeah. Um, but take that whatever whatever direction makes sense to you. Yeah. So I think partly um the you know raised by abusive alcoholic you know my dad was very strict and it was women and children are to be seen and not heard and though he wanted a high performer um he wanted me to be the best soccer player the best runner the best tennis player um you know after a game why didn't you catch her you could you could run just as fast as her so you had to be the best um, you know, you had to have all A's, you had to be the best in the class. And he expected that level of performance from you. But then at home, he expected you to, you know, keep the house clean, keep your room clean, keep food on the table, you know, everything in its place. And then you were to be seen and not heard. And that you and he would call me Cinderella, which my name's not, it's Catherine, but I go by cat. So the, you know, him calling me Cinderella was just him being an ass. Um, and so that was how it was raised. So you keep your mouth shut, you know, and you don't vocalize things when they bother you or when you're upset or when bad things happen. And so I think, you know, I didn't, I didn't say much about the child molestation um, by, and I'm, and Sandy, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I don't know if you call it something else, if it's a child, a child, um, yeah, but well, it depends. It was, felt like a molestation to you, and so therefore it was. Yeah, most likely this young girl was probably sexually reactive. Yeah, because she was young as well, and mm -hmm. so the sexual behavior that she exhibited was above normal developmental sexual activity, and so we can assume she was sexually reactive, which means that she was probably reenacting her own sexual trauma. However, Cat was the recipient of, of this, which meant that now Cat has been sexually abused. Yeah, which, which you and I have talked about before. And so I, I feel that um, that's one of the reasons why I felt uncomfortable telling um, my parents about what happened is because, you know, you, you um, sweep everything under the rug and you don't talk about things when they bother you unless it's violent outbursts. So unless dad's mad, everything's copacetic. Everything's chill, man, you know? And that's how he wanted his house, you know, and how he wanted the, your life. And so um, I just felt like it was, I, it, I think there was a lot of shame and there was a lot of hiding. And then when I look into 
you know, I was 15 a month before I was 16, um, was when I had, uh, <laughs> um, when I was raped by my high school boyfriend, I was going to say when I had sex for the first time, but no, when I was raped by my high school boyfriend. Um, and that was hard for me because, you know, he and I had rules and we were okay with, um, certain sexual acts and he was supposed to respect my boundaries and respect my rules. And so, you know, we're, I'm 15 and he's 17 and we're fooling around in his parents' basement you know, so you don't want to go home and tell mom and dad that. And, um, that was one of the first times I realized like, okay, well, the man's just going to do whatever he wants to do. And you have to be okay with it. Like if you're, if you're gonna, if you're gonna start something sexual with a man, then you just have to be okay with whatever he wants to do. And your place in life is to please a man. And your place in life is to, um, keep them happy and make them want to stay with you because if the man doesn't want to stay with you then you must not be worth it worthy and I think that's partly coming from some of my mother trauma <laughs> um, because my mom stayed with an abusive alcoholic you cheated on her for four or five years so I was trained that and like raised in that um, and then that's kind of what started my viewpoint towards men um, which is which is not, it's not a safe place to be um, in my head. Um, I view men as like evil monsters that hide under happy faces and will treat you, um, treat you well at first or who um, will kind of trick you. And then behind closed doors, that's when they do whatever they want to with you and I am used to not um I guess feeling that like I can't trust them and you never know what's going to happen and that they could all you know rape you or hit you or um any number of things so that is that is hard for me with um with my line of work, um, because I do, you know, I care, I'm in the medical field. I care for people. I serve people. I love people. I want to help people. Um, and then sometimes like, you know, if something happens, I think, man, like, is, is he a monster underneath that? Cause he was just really, really rude or very, um, angry, or I heard the way he talked to his wife or, you know, and I just kind of shrink away and think, oh, is he, is he a bad man? You know? Um, and then in, in my experiences dating, um, I want to believe that everybody is kind and honest and everyone is, um, you know, loving and would not hurt people. But my experience is, is the opposite. And I, I've, I found a few, you know, good man, men out there in the world, but, um, but yeah, it, it is hard. It's hard for me to, um, work through those like experiences and trauma and heal from that and, and know that like, not everyone would treat you that way. Um, but at the same time, I, 
try to also be like careful <laughs> and remind myself of safety and and I feel like I may be a little overly paranoid um sometimes when I walk down an alley the first thing I think about is all the stuff that 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 man who turns a corner could do to me you know and I I uh I know w- women are scared every day everywhere um and I think that I I put on a brave face and I do have a a very a bubbly personality and I am strong and I am independent and I am a brave person um but I think that underneath it I am a terrified little girl no cat we know the statistics say that one in three women are sexually assaulted in their lifetime one in three which is that's that's an enormous number it's an enormous number the statistics also show that almost 100% of women have been scared by men at some point in their lifetime, at least once, have been afraid of harm at least one time in their life. Um, you know, and not to discount your experience, Kat, because you were raised, as you said, with a, an abusive alcoholic father who demanded you to basically be what it is that he needed, maybe an extension of himself at the same time, your, your preferences didn't matter. And so you're right, you were somewhat sort of set up, um, which is why that safety mechanism that many people have when we're born, that we set these boundaries and we try to stay safe, it sort of breaks that, um, in non-clinical language, it sort of breaks that and part of trauma treatment is actually helping the client enhance safety. Um, it might be that, Kat, for you, that a lot of the times being paranoid might be, might be wise. In your chosen profession, the um, amount of sexual harassment and things is much greater than in other professions. Um, if you were a first grade teacher, the, the ratio would go down a little bit. Um, yes. So, so yeah, so that paranoia to some degree is actually necessary in order to stay healthy and safe, but you also don't want to live your life afraid of everybody that you meet. There's that balance that's hard to find, especially not just as a woman, but a woman who's experienced significant trauma in, in your life. Kat, I, I'm going to change directions just slightly, if that's okay with you. You drive the boat. Well, I'd like to ask you about one of the things that we talked about when you were coming on here is that mind-body connection a bit, you know, as you're talking about your fear and you're talking about your trauma and trauma responses, can you maybe for people who are listening, articulate some ways in which that trauma shows up in you, like in your body and your feelings that kind of thing to show the impact of all of that past trauma on you today, who is a very, you know, you are a very accomplished professional woman who, like you said, is strong and independent and brave, and yet it still has an impact on you today. So could you share that with us? Yes. When, um, when you ask that question, I think of two things. I think of um, like a example of when I noticed it at work, um, and it, that was a, I guess, more of a, a work-related trauma, like we talked about earlier. So we had a, a month-old baby who came into the ER 
and he was dead on arrival and we his father was away at work and his mother was with him and she brought him in or she called the ambulance and we worked on that child for over an hour uh close to two hours um doing you know code blue trying to resuscitate him and basically we continued because the the mother wanted even though we knew the baby wasn't going to come back but also waiting for the father and I remember after that like that was very emotional you know and I I didn't get emotional I didn't because I kept my professional hat on so I didn't cry and I didn't get um emotional but I remember um for days afterwards being nauseated um and having my chest just ache um like deep in my deep in my uh center of my chest just hurt I had I felt like I had um it felt like someone had ripped my heart out (laughs) um and of course I just I tried to ignore it um and I'm I'm thankful that you walked me through that um but and then I think about you know my daily life and I think um you know I I am a happy person and I do love my life that I'm building and there are things in my life that are very joyous but I find myself sitting there clenching my jaw at all times uh grinding my teeth clenching my jaw um my jaw will will ache the muscles in my face that go from like the bottom jawbone that mandible that go up into my head and like near my ears uh, make the temporal muscles will ache and hurt I'll get uh headaches um my neck will hurt I'll sit there with my shoulder my shoulders up by my ears um my uh shoulder like my uh what are they called traps muscles will ache um and I'm just so tense all over um and I'm holding my breath and I am on edge all the time and so I I do things to, like and that's that's how I notice like it in my body is that I there's pain there's chronic headaches there's chronic neck pain and shoulder pain and then there's just the tense the tenseness um and it's like I'm always just waiting for the next bomb to hit you know and then of course I have noticed that over the years and I try to do things like breathing techniques and recognizing those things in my body recognizing my clenched jaw and I'll say you know unclench your jaw (laughs) I'll say it why are you clenching your jaw unclench your jaw relax your face you know and I'll stretch I'll stretch my jaw out and work on that and you know I've 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 gone to a dentist and I do sleep in a um very attractive just super cute mouth guard Mm um And that does help with the headaches and the migraines because I can't clench and grind um, in my sleep because I used to wake up with headaches, wake up with migraines. Um, And so those are things I do. And then um, exercising for me is a huge physical release. I was a big athlete 
played four varsity sports in high school. Um, and I, you know, I always was very uh, active. And so when I went, when I went to college and I wasn't having to do competitive sports anymore, I, and I wasn't, I wasn't exercising. That's when I started noticing the jaw clenching and the headaches and the neck pain and the shoulder, like my traps um, pain. And, and I realized, I realized later in life um, that when I would, when I lift heavy weights or when I run um, or if I do like hit exercises that I get my heart rate up, I can relax my body so much easier. Um, I, I know that some people do yoga or they do mindful meditation and whatever, but I think maybe because of my childhood and how I was raised for me that I need that vigorous exercise. I need the running or I need, um, sprint work, or I need heavy, like he lifting heavy weights. Cause I really need to break a sweat and I need to get my heart rate up. Mm -hmm. Um, and if I'm good about taking care of my body and I'm good about taking care of myself and I do those things, the clenched jaw, the headache, the having my shoulders up to my ears, um, though that's I I noticed those less and less you mentioned um, something too Kat you said that um you have to notice these things because it's been a pattern that it's it's not noticed it's minimized and as if these things are sort of the status quo this is what life is oh yeah <laughs> so okay can, can you talk about the process of learning how to not minimize all of these things and recognize them for what they are. Well, number one, I'd recommend getting a very good therapist. Yes, that's number one. <laughs> I might um, say that's a bad idea. <laughs> that's a great idea. I would recommend, um, I, I, would, I would say for me, um, it's been a journey. It's been a two-year journey. Um, I didn't get a therapist. I was not, I was not good at being introspective. I was very, um, I just, I, I am a, I don't know. I think we've said this before. I was a, like a rhino. I would just put my head down and I would just blast through any wall or any obstacle. I didn't, I treated my body like a machine and I didn't treat it like a good machine. I didn't treat it like a car where you'd like redo the oil and do all the maintenance. I mean, I treated it like a machine that would just never break down. I wouldn't feed it. I wouldn't sleep. I would, um, I would just, I would ignore pain, physical pain, emotional pain. I would ignore trauma. I would ignore everything. And I think that looking back in my life, that's part of the reason why I have poor memories um, like poor availability to access my memories um, from childhood, from high school, uh, college. You know, I went on a six month um, study abroad and I was very blessed to be able to do that. Um, and I, uh, I paid, I worked all summer long, took multiple jobs, saved up money, went to do that, had a blast, wonderful time. I come back, me and all the girls or gr the girls and I are still friends and they bring up memories and they talk about things and they want to chit chat and get back together and reminisce. And I don't remember any of the crap that they're talking about. I spent all that time and all that, all that hard earned money and got to go to your, got to go all across Europe for six months. And I have zero memories, zero memories of it. 
and I don't want to interrupt you, but it, go I, ahead, do think it's, I do think it's worth pointing out for the sake of those listening or watching um, that, you know, we're, we're talking about trauma here. And yep. you might already be familiar with this idea of blocking out traumatic memories, but we're seeing that just kind of like how there's just one volume knob for all your emotions. You can't, you yeah. can't decide you're going to feel less sadness without feeling less in general. Um, you know, you're talking about losing memories, even when what you're experiencing was a good time and maybe even like a highlight when things that'll be on your highlight reel at the end of life, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Like this is like, this is no joke. You know, yeah. I'm talking and about, I, you know, you said uh, two years, right? So far as a journey. Yeah. So two years in therapy. And when I, um, I'm just going to put you on blast, Sandy. So <laughs> when Sandy and I started, when we met, um, it was the best day of my life. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it really was a great day. It was a great day for me. And I finally had said that enough's enough. I was so miserable and so unhappy and I was suicidal um, and I and I said I just can't do it anymore I had ignored my feelings and my um, bad thoughts and my body and I um, I said you know I need help <laughs> and I was <laughs> I, I've been very stubborn my entire life so <laughs> She's laughing because she knows it's true. I am. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, and, it, does and stubbornness I, give you some sense of agency, some sense of control in an otherwise chaotic oh, life? Yes. <laughs> so, so the word is tenacious. Nice word. And so I, uh, I remember when Sandy and I met, I had uh, the ability to know if I was happy, if I was sad, or if I was mad. And mad was rare. Um, usually I was a, a, I would say I was a sad person. Um, I had naturally like a happy personality and a bubbly per I'm a bubbly person. And I, um, I love people. I love life. I love, you know, I find happiness anywhere and everywhere. And I can focus on the good most of the time. Um, but deep in my core, I had this dark shadow of sadness that um over that overtook my happy most of the most of my days and I feel like I was unaware of my physical um my physical uh manifestations of my trauma but I also was unaware of the level of my trauma you know um, like I thought, well, you know, it's normal to have a dad who beats the shit out of you, or it's normal to have a mom tell you that she doesn't want to be your mom anymore and that you can raise yourself. And, you know, so you're 14, I've done my job, I'm done with you. Um, and I always looked around and saw other people's families and I was always jealous and I was always jealous of my friends and I always tried to you know, insert myself into families of romantic partners throughout my life because I knew my, I got the kind of the shitty end of the stick, you know, like I was like, that's that I didn't, mine aren't, mine aren't the best, mm -hmm. but like, but it, 
and especially with my sexual trauma, I didn't even remember the the childhood like molestation that happened when I was probably eight or so. I didn't even remember it until I was in college. And actually one of my dear guy friends opened up to me about it, that it had happened to him. And my first thought was, well, doesn't, doesn't everybody have someone in the neighborhood that like touches them inappropriately when they're growing up? Isn't that kind of normal? <laughs> um, and I realized, you know, I'm watching him cry from it. And he was a little older when he, when his trauma happened. Um, and I remember thinking that I, the shame started coming in and I, I remember noticing, okay, this isn't, this, it obviously isn't normal or healthy or, you know, expected life. And so there, there were times when, um, or times when I was, you know, at the, at the hospital at work, when I would notice my physical, um, not being able to take deep breaths, not being able to relax, chronic headaches. I lived on ibuprofen. Um, and, and even though I would, even though I'd force myself to eat, I'd have caffeine, I'd force myself to have enough water. I got, I got eight hours of sleep last night. Well, I'm following all my rules. Why am I still having headaches? And that those through the past two years, I've learned that there are more emotions than happy and sad. Um, I've learned to kind of that I, I had to teach myself to check into my body and to check on me because as a child, I wasn't taught, how are you feeling? I wasn't taught to check in on myself. I was taught to um, sit with your hands under your legs so that you don't get in trouble for being antsy and keep your mouth shut. And so um, I, ignore, I, I was taught to ignore things and I became a master at it. And now I'm having to like undo that training and learn how to get to know myself and to say like I I mean just there's times when Sandy and I are talking and I'm like hey I noticed that that guy made me uncomfortable because I used to not be able to notice you know or that that person they had red flags they made me feel uncomfortable they that doesn't seem right or you know I told her I noticed I felt this way when x y and z and usually I had no ability to monitor any emotion or feeling or because I did what you said, I just turned all the volumes off. All my, all my knobs were off, you know, and living in that numbness, um, you know, the pain still breaks through. And so it's, it's really not, um, it's really not sustainable or pleasant and uh after two years of like therapy for uh, we did a lot of therapy I <laughs> we did a lot of therapy um and I in learning about myself and take and spending I actually and Jeremy this is you'll you'll probably won't be surprised I'm extroverted but I never what? wanted to, <laughs> I, I never wanted to be alone I couldn't be alone. And I remember as a child, I would like, when I had to be alone, I would just go to the movies by myself. 
because I would rather be watching the world or watching someone's life or being in the movies would keep me from feeling alone and I didn't want to be alone um and as a child it's like I would go I was that annoying kid in the neighborhood who rode my bike from friend's house to friend's house like when Sarah's mom said I had to go it's fine Elizabeth lives down the street get on her, my bike and go to her house because I could I didn't want to be at my house it wasn't safe and then also I didn't want to be alone yeah and so I think part of it is that was my way of ignoring what was happening to me and ignoring what I was feeling on the inside. And I, that translated to adulthood. I was always busy. I always over um, extended myself and my schedule and always filled it with work or extracurriculars or friends and I net or, you know, romantic partners and I never wanted to be alone. And it's just funny because now I finally like being alone <laughs> and I finally like my space and I like my time alone. And how unexpected was that as a personal development? So weird. Like I remember <laughs> I told Sandy one time, um, she said, I like being by myself. She said, I like my own company. I'm great company. And I thought she's weird. <laughs> well that's probably true <laughs> she must not she must be introverted and 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 she must be bored a lot and you know now I I like my own company I like to do things with me and I have a good time even if I'm by myself and sometimes I prefer it like I would prefer being by myself than be than than be with someone that I can only have a superficial relationship with or I can't be authentic with and I do realize like how much my alone time is is um beneficial for me and necessary for me and healing for me um and I I recognize I mean I do learn a lot from others like I recognize how I respond to other people and I recognize like my body and my feelings and my mind and my thoughts and sometimes you need that external stimulation to to learn things about yourself but but yes it, it was my, I feel, I have, think I told Sandy this the other day, and if I didn't, I was at least thinking about it. I feel like my personality and who I am as a person has so much been affected by my trauma that I don't even know who I really am. Mm. You know, I'm 32 years old and I think I am a certain way. And throughout these two years of healing and two years of introspective work and two years of getting to know myself sometimes I think well maybe I'm not who I thought I was all along and maybe that's not part of my person that's not actually my personality that's part of my trauma um and that is a little scary not to be 30 I'm almost 33 and to be um still realizing like oh I don't really know myself that well or what's my trauma and what's actually me mm -hmm. and then also how much of that has been a trauma response since I was a wee girl and that really is ingrained in me and that's okay too um but I I think that's that's those are the things that have been it's been interesting and it's been kind of sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's sad um not knowing what's me and what's my trauma and and part of the 
that's actually an experience that most people experience when they have come from childhood trauma. Knowing mm-hmm. who they are is almost impossible, whether it's themselves or if it's a trauma response or a way to just stay safe. Um, even, you know, people pleasing. Kat, you mentioned that you have a bubbly personality and, and you like to be, make people laugh and feel good around you. That might be your personality or it might be a trauma response where you're trying to sure. make sure that you stay safe. And it's, it's kind of scary, like Kat said, to not know what part is, is me, what part is a trauma response sometimes. Mm-hmm. And yet there's a cool piece to this too, because as you work through trauma and you heal more and more and you look to see what pieces are trauma responses, kind of discovering who you are for the first time and realizing how cool of a person you are and how all of these things without that trauma can be really also very cool, but it is a very scary process. Um, and it takes, yeah. takes some courage to, to do that. And some willingness to look at pieces of your life that may or may not feel good. You know, we talk, talk about shadow work where we have to look at those pieces of us that we feel are unacceptable, but yet that's part of trauma work. It's looking at those pieces and saying, okay, this actually isn't a trauma response. This is just some ugliness in me <laughs> and I'm going to have to own it. You know, it takes a lot of bravery for that too. Um, and I know Kat's been doing a lot of that work. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. It sounds so um, overwhelming in such a specific way to have to not be able to trust your own intuition, not be able to develop your own intuition, and, mm-hmm. and the theme that I've heard throughout our talk today was not only were you not allowed to have a voice in childhood, which means you were kind of only able to show up in a superficial way because you weren't allowed to be known, Agreed. but you were finding the same thing happening in your assessment of other people who, who showed any sort of favor to you. A guy would show up and if he was being kind, it was a means to an end. And without being able to rely on your own intuition throughout those situations, all you could recognize were patterns. Is that, is that fair to say? Yes. Um, And I felt like it was very rare to find someone who was authentic, Um, whether it was in my family or whether it was in um, individuals who came in my life. Um, and I think I, even as a child, craved that realness and that authentic, you know, authenticness. And I, I have, in a weird way, I have always been a little bit of the black sheep in the family who was outspoken and a little bit more authentic. Granted, did I get kicked out of the family um, dinner all the time? Um, <laughs> was I told I had to leave on holidays? all the time was I told I am not allowed to be myself in certain situations yes all the time um and so I outside of the home I think I kind of like emotionally personality word vomited on anyone who would listen to me I would be wild and loud and I feel sorry for every soccer coach I've ever had Um, I was the kid who they were like, go run laps because you're driving me nuts. And I was like, "Ah!" 
like <laughs> running circles around everybody because I wasn't allowed to express any of that energy, personality, wildness at home. Um, and so I, I craved being like being me. I craved people. I craved being around people who were outspoken and authentic and were them like themselves that, and I think I kind of over, you know, I had, I have no boundaries. I'm now building them, but two mm. years ago, you met me, I had no boundaries. And so my a friend and I were actually taking a personality quiz, the Enneagram quiz. And she was like, you have no boundaries. And I was like, excuse me. I was like, I have them now. They may be smaller than yours, but they are being built. Um, they are. But, um, but she was teasing me and she's a very good loved friend. But um, I think that I would kind of like, uh, you know, emotionally just unload on people. And I didn't have good boundaries. And I... And I look back now and I'm cringe. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that poor child. Like, yeah, but remember that the cringe means that you've grown. Yes, grown. yes. very much grown. But, um, but yes, I, uh, I think I recognize this even as a kid and as a young adult, I recognized that, um, that people were superficial and they weren't authentic and they weren't deep and they weren't honest and people in my life would take advantage of me of me being kind and me being open and me being vulnerable and me being authentic and um I've even used the word gullible numerous times um to describe myself because I am honest and I'm honest and kind and in my heart, I believe that people are all honest and kind. And I want that to be the truth, the case. Um, and then because I've seen otherwise, you know, that's kind of a dichotomy, I think, in myself um, caused by the trauma. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question, Jeremy. I feel like I was all over the place. Oh, that was great. Okay, I know we're getting close to the end. So I do want to give you an opportunity to say anything that you'd like to say to other people who might have experienced trauma in their life. Is there anything that you'd like to, to say to them? Of course, you're going to make me cry. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, that's my job. <laughs> I, um, I would just want to tell some, I would want to tell me. Um, that it's okay and you didn't do anything wrong and you didn't deserve any of the things that happened to you and um that you deserve better and um you are you are not your trauma and that I'm I'm proud of anybody who's listening to this podcast I'm proud of anybody who's going to therapy I'm proud of anybody who's, you know, reading books or is taking care of their mental health or taking care of their physical health. Um, it's easier to live in the, um, to live in denial and to ignore everything and to, to not take care of you. Um, and it's scary to, it's scary and hard, but so worthwhile to, you know, go through 
um, treatment and therapy and to work on you and to help you. And, you know, when you didn't have adults to help you with these things in your life as a kid, or whenever you have trauma as an adult and you have to take care of you, um, it's not easy. And I think that I'm, I want people to have hope that it gets better and it gets easier and that it, that they should be proud of themselves and they should know their worth and their, they are not their trauma and their, their trauma is something that happened to them and it does not say anything about them. Um, and, and to, I hope that I pray and I hope that those, that they come to terms with that and they start seeing them for who they are lovely and worthy and and they start seeing their trauma for what it is and it's it's shit luck (laughs) and it's something we have to deal with and we process and um I just wish them the best of luck beautifully said yes Kat thank you so so much for coming on to safe inside today um, your bravery is inspiring. So thank you. Thank you. Um, also, thank you for being so vulnerable with us and with people who are listening. I'm sure it will be helpful. To oh, them. yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, right? And it sounds like you've already realized this. We kind of have to lead by example in order to see any healing happen. Yeah. yeah. So thank you. Well, Jeremy, I think that's it. Today. I think that's it. Thanks so much for being with us, Kat. This has Thank been a great episode. Um, <laughs> next time, we're going to talk about how trauma is not a lifelong sentence. So join us for that. We'll talk soon. Thank you.